Ooh. Hey there, Sam. Hey there, Bev. That was a good sound over there. Was it? it sounds like you opened a bottle. What'd you open? I did. I opened a bottle of Spots by Off Color Brewing. Mm-hmm. And Spots is a Tiki Vice style ale with passion fruit and grapefruit. Fruit. Can't talk today. <laughs> grapefruit peel. That's how you say that word. Ooh, fancy. Yes. And Off Color Brewing, I believe they're located in Illinois because this was one of the ones that I got while we were traveling for the Naperville Ale Fest. Mm. Yeah. They're located in Chicago. And I just love Off Color's. Uh, like their labeling and their branding. So I can't wait to post this picture because it's it's really cute. It's got like a cheetah with like a passion fruit hat on. Ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it's sitting on like some jungle leaves. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> but what are you drinking over there? So I went on a little adventure on Friday uh, because I got tipped off on Instagram by Chicago Water that Meyer has a shit ton of canned wine. Mm. And as you might have heard on the previous episode, I'm a fan because opening a whole bottle, you know, is just not always the greatest idea for me. It doesn't fit my lifestyle during the week because I try not to, you know, drink when I'm stressed and work stresses me out a lot. Um, So I tend to only drink on the weekends and not very much. So uh, I found a bunch of canned wine, and today I am drinking from St. Julian, which is a Michigan winery, their traditional sangria, which is a grape wine with natural flavor, and it is very sangria-y, and I like it mm. very much. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going very fruity today. Yes, yes, this is pretty sweet, but I figure, you know, it's August, I got to enjoy the warm weather and the fruity drinks while I can. Good point. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Fruity drinks just kind of make me sad in the winter because it makes me realize how much I miss being warm. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. See, I like to drink fruity things Uh in the winter because in my head, I just travel to a warmer place. And sometimes that <laughs> you works, step outside, <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't. Totally fair. But welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Yes, that's Bev over there. And that's Sam over there. And this is the Farm Comedy Podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We want to create a community for farmers, whether you have a hobby-sized farm or a huge farm, to come listen and feel like you're not so alone in this farm thing. We keep it real with you and find humor in the mistakes we make, new knowledge we gain, and sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. Yes, and speaking of tangents, we cut a lot of those and stick them up on our Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So go to patreon.com slash drink and farm and become a Patreon peep if you're not one already. It's a great way to support the podcast at like $2 or slightly above. And you get access to fun exclusive recordings and some other things up there. So go check it out and become a peep if if you'd like. Yeah, and speaking of our Patreon peeps, the drinks for this episode were sponsored by Christine Sayani, which is at homemade underscore confetti. So cheers, lady. Cheers. 
so I realized I didn't put any follow-up in here, but I actually have one tiny thing that I should follow up on. What's that? All of my goldfish are dead. Ugh. Oh, no. Rest in peace, little fish. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure what happened. They just kind of dwindled down until I only had one sad, lonely fish, and then we kind of cleaned the water out a little bit because it needed a little help because a frog had decided to move in there. Ew. Yeah. And then after that, we put it back and it just went belly up. But the chickens <laughs> loved it. So they were happy. <laughs> Circle of life. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, what made me think of it was we went fishing last night in the creek that's across the street from us. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor was using goldfish because uh, he was trying to catch whatever swims at the bottom of the oh. creek. And then when we were all done, it was like 1230 in the morning or something like that. We were all done. And he let all of the goldfish go. And Jared looked at him and he's like, what'd you do that for? You could have say- you could have stored them in our stock tank. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, all our goldfish died. Next time you have spare goldfish for fishing, just come and store them in our stock tank, and then you can come and take them out when you want to go fishing and then put whatever's left back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, just go fishing in our stock tank. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to replace them or not. You know, it's august so yeah yeah pretty soon it's gonna be really cold like before we know it and i'm just i'm kind of like one more creature to take care of right now (laughs) yeah yeah and sadly that's probably one of the more difficult ones to take care of and and not you know off (laughs) because they just are so like it's funny because I've had fish before, too, and it's like they'll do great even when the water is filthy. I clean the water, and it, like, shocks their system or something, and then they're dead. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. That's about how that went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've been there before. Well, and I think some of them got eaten by the goats on accident because, you know, oh. how the goats, like, get really curious yeah. when they find something, and they, like, you know, like, start to nibble on it, and then they accidentally yeah. end up with a fish in it, and... And then it was really funny when the frog moved in, no one would go near the stock tank. It was like everyone was scared of the frog for some weird reason. And <laughs> oh, man, I'm like, oh, people are I guess they're not people. They're yes. animals, but <laughs> oh, goats and Turk. So now we get to move right along. Yeah, let's move right along. But first of all, I do want to say before we jump in here, the day this drops, I mean, I'm drinking sangria, which is kind of beachy, but it's not rum. But it's National Rum Day today. Oh, hey. Yeah. On Friday, August 16th. Yeah. So if you're a rum drinker, go drink some rum because you have the perfect excuse today. You're welcome. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Okay, now let's get started because this will probably make you want to drink some of that rum. We're going to get in it today about... Um, and, and maybe you've already noticed this because I started noticing it maybe more in like end of June, beginning of July. Um, but a lot of people in the farming community and hobby farming community are ending up in Facebook jail. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. Dun, 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 indeed. So you might be like, well, why is that Sam and Bev? Um, and 
That is because there has been a sudden crackdown based on some policy changes to Facebook um, and their rules around selling livestock, which is the topic that has gotten Bev and I like a little fiery, a little internally conflicted. Um, but we're going to dig into it a little bit today and uh, give you guys some information. And then maybe in our Facebook group, you can uh, share your own experiences with us if you've come across anything in the past couple months. Yeah, and I'm really glad that we came across this because I had noticed the crackdown um, because like, obviously, we're a part of a lot of farm groups. And so like mm-hmm. a lot of people were like posting, hey, hey, like, you can't sell here. You can't sell hatching eggs. You can't sell chickens or whatever. And like, this is so weird. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that's always what Facebook has kind of been used for. So it was kind of scratching my head. Like, do we need to update the terms in our group to make sure that our group doesn't get shut down? Because like, they're really cracking down hard on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we got to find out what this is because this matters. <laughs> yeah. And I've personally seen groups getting shut down even if animal sales weren't happening. All it takes Mm. is some jackass reporting you. And then depending on the Facebook employee or the algorithm that is reviewing that report, you know, you could get shut down for no good reason. And then all of your hard work just goes bye-bye. Now, our group, I wouldn't necessarily call hard work because we share a (laughs) lot of, like, funny stuff. It's mostly farm memes. Yeah. And it's more of a gathering place, but I found this really good goat group for, like, goat emergencies. And, like, they have so many uh, valuable, like, one-pagers of um, general goat care, what to do if you think your goat has listeria or polio or whatever. And there's so much good information in there and their files and everything. And if that got shut down, it'd just be gone. Oh. Yeah. Um, and, and I've also noticed the past couple of years, you know, people in groups saying don't use the selling something feature. Um, you want to use language like rehoming or request people to DM you for the price of an animal. Um, or they would just kind of use the emoji numbers to communicate price or nest it in the comments um, to kind of cheat or beat the algorithm. <laughs> um, and, and that seemed to work effectively, but that's not really working so much anymore. Yeah, because, like, they've had this as a policy for a while, right? Um, yes. Like, technically. Technically, but I think it's more, in the language is more intense and direct now. Okay. Um, because there were some updates in April. But the article that Bev found is from farmanddairy.com, and it's got some really good examples. And it kind of made me laugh because the first person they talked to is from Circleville, Ohio. And that's like, what, an hour from you? And I drove through there on my way home. And I was like, oh, that's why Bev likes this article. (laughs) Yeah, it's like an hour from me. And it's also where the pumpkin show is. And like, my favorite murder is talked about Circleville, too, because of the pumpkin show. And yeah, so. Yeah. So this uh, lady, Regia, Regina Mayhew, gosh, I've only had a couple sips of wine, I promise. Um, she was in Facebook jail for three days, um, for finding out the hard way that her lambs are now considered quote unquote regulated goods. Um, and she created a post advertising in an Ohio sheep group that she had lambs for sale and she was very confused and dug into it. And 
she found out that live animals are now considered regulated goods by Facebook. And then there's an, another example of a woman who sold between five and $10,000 worth of livestock guardian dogs, goats, and coon coon pigs over Facebook the last seven years. Every single year she's making between five and $10,000. Um, and it also seems like once you're flagged for selling animals, you're more likely to get flagged again. Um, another Ohio woman was repeatedly flagged and she found that based, uh, that she posted her fleece for sale and that uh, post was pulled. And she said she's sold between 200 and 300 fleeces and many sheep on Facebook over the years. And basically all of her clients have come through Facebook. And, you know, one of the things that this is kind of showing me is that it's really important when you run a business of any kind not to rely on any like one platform right for where you get your customer base from I guess for lack of a better word build your email list (laughs) right yeah I mean which is something our podcast is terrible at doing oh yeah we can't take our own advice yeah (laughs) we're busy people (laughs) yeah but yeah it's like that's why we host our podcast on our own website I didn't Mm want to be beholden to anyone else's like RSS feed rules so we created our own because like I kind of knew that in the back of my head Uh, I forgot where I'd learned that from but another podcast that I listened to talked about how like you have to really like diversify how you do your businessy things because of things like this like your business might eventually violate the terms of service of whatever platform you're using for it right or the platform could just go away mm-hmm. like we could go we could wake up tomorrow and facebook could be all gone you just you just don't know yeah i mean remember when there was this thing called myspace oh yeah i do remember sadly <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I still have a profile on there somewhere. It, it comes up. I get these dark webs web alerts from Capital Capital One, and it's like somebody stole your MySpace username. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, have fun with that. There's literally <laughs> nothing on there. The email associated with that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think mine does either. I think my email address used to be like Princess Bev eighty four or something oh, like that. And that's what I yeah. used. <laughs> Jeez. Princess Bev. That's what I'm going to start calling you now. Thank you. You're That's my title. Give me my crown. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, um, as we've said, policy updates have been made. And in the past, Facebook policies have forbidden selling animals in groups in Facebook's marketplace. But many farmers got away with selling in groups dedicated to livestock or official business pages where they could pay to advertise their animals. So it was like a trade-off. But in April 2019, Facebook banned all livestock sales between private individuals. And it also banned selling animal parts, pelts, and skin sales, including fur. So since the update, personal profiles, pages with thousands of followers and massive livestock groups, some with several hundred thousand members, have been penalized. And a lot of posts, profiles, pages, and groups have been removed. And there are less and less places for farmers on Facebook. Which is such a bummer because, like, Facebook is such a great platform for farmers and people that live in rural communities to, like, connect with Mm -hmm. the rest of the world. And, I mean, 
you got to make a living, right? So right. when and you got extra animals, like. Yeah. And something to keep in mind, too, Facebook owns Instagram. That's right. I always forget that. Yeah. So Zucks could decide. I mean, I'm, I haven't dug through the Instagram terms of service yet. I tried to earlier and couldn't find anything that directly banned the sales of animals. But I don't know how much of Instagram falls under the Facebook terms of service. And I'm also not a lawyer. Obviously, they try to make it as plain, like, human-readable language for us to understand. Um, and if you look at the terms of service piece here with the Facebook or for the animal sale, it's it's pretty clear. Um, but I did find a quote from a sales Salesforce, Jesus. <laughs> I'm not at work. A Facebook spos- spokesperson stating, as we strive to protect the welfare of animals against illicit trades, we cannot always ensure their safety in a peer-to-peer transaction. We have updated our policies to continue to keep both people and animals safe, and we'll also provide new reporting options on Facebook so that people can report, report content that violates this policy. And Facebook also said it will continue to allow sales ads posted by brick and mortar businesses. So equestrian related equipment like saddles and other riding gear, other, you know, animal supplies um, and animal rehoming posts and adoptions agencies and shelters will still be able to advertise animals who are in need of homes. But like, I can't sell my chickens to Bev over Facebook. But yeah. I could I could allegedly say I need to rehome this chicken and there's a rehoming fee associated with that. So Yeah. And that doesn't feel very businessy. I know. <laughs> but it's also the same freaking thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like uh it's like tit for tat or like tomato yes. tomato. <laughs> yes. So if you're listening to this and you're kind of panicking or don't know what your options are, there are two uh, ma- there are two apps that people are kind of migrating to to sell their livestock. And one is called Open Range. So this farmer named Tyler Beaver of Beef Cattle Co. in Arkansas said in a phone interview that he saw this coming like a year and a half ago. Um, because he, um, had this huge farm page with like 52,000 followers. Um, and he kind of got around the Facebook rules of old, (laughs) um, (laughs) but he saw this coming. So he hired several developers to create a new app that would allow farmers to buy, sell, and discuss livestock and equipment. And that app is called open range. And it was released seven months ago, but he didn't promote it right away because Facebook was still a decent option. For the first few months, the app remained at about 2,000 users, but over the last few weeks, as Facebook has cracked down on livestock sales, the app has seen more than 1,000 new downloads a day. That is huge. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) So good good on you, Tyler Beaver. Um, I think that's great that he saw that need coming. Um, and he like just kind of seized that opportunity. So I think I think that's great for him. And I'm glad that it's a success. And I think it's something I'm going to download because I <laughs> one of the reasons I was able to go to Meyer the other day was because I went to Rural King to sell a couple of my bunnies because I saw this crackdown happening. And I was like, crap, I can't post these on Facebook at all. Um, so I took four out of eight of them there. 
but they only wanted the ones that were like eight weeks old because it takes them a couple of weeks to sell them. And, you know, they got to be small and cute <laughs> because, yeah. you know, people going to a big box store and buying rabbits are totally like totally more responsible than people buying them off the internet. <laughs> oh, of course they are. Yeah. Dripping sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think I have some other people interested in the other four, but it's like, I, don't want to do anything to compromise my Facebook, my Facebook pages, the Drink and Farm group. Um, so it's like I'm just, it's a hard no on posting right now just to kind of see how all this shakes out. But another option is, a, and this is the one I've seen a lot, is MeWe, which is another social media site that a lot of former Facebook users have flocked to. And it's been around since about 2016. Yeah, and I had kind of heard of that MeWe one, and I was wondering what that was. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize that this was like a like a different Facebook. Yeah, so this founder dude, Mark Weinstein, was inspired to create the site after hearing Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook CEO, you know, the bleeding heart for all the little animals. Um, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg said. Privacy is a social norm of the past. So if you think for a second this guy really cares about you, um, no. he's Or maybe he does. He just has a really warped sense of what matters to people. I don't know. Um, But that statement inspired Mark Weinstein to create a social platform um, that that doesn't kind of go with that theme of privacy as a social norm of the past. Um, and in a statement, MeWe said it welcomes users to talk about livestock, dairy, and agriculture. And they realize that there's a role of social media sites to keep bad actors out, but it's definitely not the role of social media to play big brother. And I yeah. kind of vibe with that. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. And when I like am scrolling through Facebook and see the spewing hate, um, and all the political junk from both sides, I'm like, you're going to allow all this garbage, but you're not. I can't sell my bunnies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like selective censorship. Well, and it feels like, I don't know, like, so here's what I like about Facebook is so like everyone's profile picture is public. Mm-hmm. So it, like I would like to breed my goats one of these days and I'll have to sell the extras unless I want to have a larger herd, obviously. Like Sam. So, <laughs> yeah. so when someone wants to buy one of my goats, I can go click on their profile. And even if their profile is not public, like their picture is. And mm-hmm. a picture really is worth kind of a thousand words like you can scroll through random facebook users and take a peek at their profile pictures and you can come to some snap judgments based on whatever they've oh, chosen yeah. like and you you can kind of use that to gauge like in your gut whether or not you want to invite that person to your house to come right. check out your farm and your animals and then like on the flip side too like if you're a legitimate facebook business like we've got the drink and farm business page i've got like my ross roost page and you've got your chickens and wine page like someone can scroll through all of my past posts and get a feel for what kind of person and farm i run before they decide they want to buy a goat from me 
Right. Like, I don't know. It feels like it, it felt like it was a natural like fit for those to go together. Right. And I totally agree with all of that. Um, and I'm pretty sh- certain that's how I found the breeder for, for the goats that I originally got was through Facebook and seeing all of her posts. And Facebook has a very uh, standardized layout. It's pretty easy to navigate, whereas, like, her website, she's not a web developer, so her website wasn't, like, up to snuff for what I consider to be necessarily a good website. Um, So it was (laughs) like, I went to Facebook. Um, And I I think at the end of the day, they're trying to tackle a very large issue. I've seen in other groups, like, I'm pretty sure this group is deleted now, but it was, like, Michigan Pets for Sale or Rehoming or whatever. Um, and there'd be people that would go in there and want to adopt pit bulls to just take them to the pound and euthanize them. Oh, geez. Or to the vet and euthanize them. Um, so you got like that end of the spectrum. You got the other end of the spectrum where you're selling Nigerian dwarf goats and you want them to be pets or, you know, like, you know, milking does or whatever. And you sell them and somebody might eat them. You know, it's just... There's risk with no matter what the platform is. What I think is happening here is Facebook just doesn't want to be held liable or responsible for anything bad that comes out of that. Which, I mean, that totally seems fair enough. And, you know, like my story for getting my goats, it's identical to yours. That's how I found my original breeder Uh, of my goats. Yeah. Yeah. But what gets me at the same time is like I I get these messages on Instagram all the time. It's like these spammy naked booby girlies in my DMs and it's like the same picture 10 times in a row. And if I don't report it as spam, if I report it as like nudity, if I report it as nudity, it doesn't go away. If I report it as spam, it does. Oh, I report all of those as spam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally do. But if you call out the actual nudity part, um, it says, oh, yeah, we didn't do anything about this. So that's what kind of gets me is like some of the other stuff that I see sliding on social media. But this is the thing you're going to crack down on without. I can't necessarily assume that they didn't put a lot of research into it, but it kind of feels like they didn't think about the magnitude of what they were doing when they took that away from certain groups. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that this is one of the problems with rules also like if you're going to have rules in a rule book I feel like or at least like the justice person within me feels like you should be enforcing all of them and not just choosing Mm -hmm. which ones Mm -hmm. you enforce yes I agree um and the really interesting thing that this article called out speaking of cherry picking things Um, is that some people are speculating that uh, PETA, the people for quote-unquote ethical treatment of animals, has recently become a shareholder in Facebook. But the article also points out that that they became shareholder in July 2019, which was two months after this policy update. But I've been noticing the heat turning up in the past month or so. I didn't notice it so much before then. So it might just be that I'm just now really been noticing or now that they're a shareholder, maybe things are heating up a little bit. Yeah, that's really interesting. Dun, dun, dun. PETA strikes again. So (laughs) (laughs) 
We're going <laughs> to dig into this PETA thing in a little bit, too. So don't you worry. You're going to get excited about that. But um, so moral of the story, if you're selling animals on Facebook, just be careful. Otherwise, they might shut all your stuff down. Um, even if your group's completely innocent, be careful. Make sure if you're running your group, you're like running it with an iron fist right now. No animal sales. Um, cause a ton of groups are getting shut down for n- no good reason. Um, people just going in there and flagging and being rude and closed minded. So yeah, just be careful. And like I said earlier, if you know, get in our Facebook group and talk about this. Just don't post anything for sale in our Facebook group, please. <laughs> no living, breathing things or things that were once living and breathing. Uh, because we're interested to know what you guys think of this. Yeah. And, you know, like our group isn't like a sales group anyways. Mm-mm. So, like, just Mm-mm. don't post things for sale in there. <laughs> right. Right. Or I'll sick Bev on you. And maybe we need to add more <laughs> rules, apparently. <laughs> After reading a clickbait article about how we'll all be eating insects by 2030, cousins Sean and Patrick did the not-so-obvious thing. They ordered 700 black soldier fly grubs to raise in their laundry room. And as the first generation of grubs wiggled into the world, Grubbly Farms was born. When they introduced black soldier fly grubs, a.k.a. grublies, or the best chicken snack in the world, <laughs> to the backyard chickens of America... The protein-packed, calcium-rich super snacks had flocks clucking from coast to coast. Grubbly Farms provides a nutritious treat to your flock, and what they're doing actually helps the environment with their mission of sustainability. Did you know that with every pound of Grubbly's purchase, 10 pounds of food waste is diverted from landfills, and this offsets 7 pounds of carbon dioxide? Booyah! When you buy Grubblies, you're not only keeping your flock healthy and happy, you're also helping the environment. And that's what we call a win-win. So head on over to grubblyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order. So let's back it up a little bit and go back to the whole PETA thing. And why the F did PETA buy Facebook shares? So it's time to go down a PETA rabbit hole. I'm not sure if that's a pun or not, <laughs> but that's... I mean, it feels like it. I'm pretty sure PETA would say that we're not supposed to be using the rabbit hole and that we're being very <laughs> specious or whatever the word is that they use for... Yes. <laughs> for species, like... Uh... Speciesism. Speciesism. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah. I only know it because I saw it earlier when I was researching PETA. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So there was a press release on PETA.org on July 1st, and it announced PETA purchasing shares in Facebook. And this, when you purchase enough shares in a company, it enables a group to submit a shareholder resolution, attend the company's annual meetings, and ask questions of executives. So the move comes allegedly after the social media platformed Facebook upped its warning screens on PETA's video showing real-life incidents of routine cruelty to animals, significantly limiting the group's ability to expose animal suffering to a wide audience. And this is PETA article, so if it sounds a little weird, that's why. Um, But 
It was quoted, people deserve to see what animals endure in laboratories on factory farms and in slaughterhouses where they're, when they're skinned or plucked alive for clothing and when they've, they're beaten so they'll perform trip, tricks, says PETA Executive Vice President Tracy Raymond. PETA urges Facebook to follow Twitter's leads lead by allowing users to decide for themselves whether they want to opt in or out of warning covers. So I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen it before where there might be like a graphic video and you have to click to accept that you're going to watch it. (laughs) Um, And this is for like... Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and like farm groups, if there's like, you know, a, a goat with a really nasty injury or something, sometimes you'll see that it's like shielded. So... It's like a kind of like a warning that you're going to look at something that might make you want to throw up. <laughs> um, so what PETA didn't like was that it was like an algorithm or somebody reporting saying this is hard to look at that would put that shield up. And PETA wants their wants Facebook to have people go in and mark a setting saying, yes, I want those. No, I don't. Um, allegedly, that that was enough for them to buy all of those shares for Facebook um, so they could get to the stakeholders or shareholders, I should say. And I don't want to go off on like a different tunnel of the rabbit hole too far, (laughs) but like these graphic videos and photos, like while I'm obviously against any type of animal cruelty, I think that sometimes sharing too much of it can be a bad thing in the sense that it becomes like almost animal cruelty porn for lack of a better word like where organizations are using it like over and over again Mm -hmm. to try to elicit like donations and sympathy when like whatever it is that they're trying to say or whatever point they're trying to make really wasn't a valid one to begin with in some cases and then on the other hand too like when there's too much of it in your newsfeed it can kind of desensitize you to it yeah as well so like I kind of like the graphic covers because I can decide like based on my mood or whatever headspace I'm in or what I'm doing at the moment whether or not I want to watch it and expose mm-hmm. myself to it because they can kind of elicit some really powerful emotions out of people individually. And that depends on where you are at the moment and what you're doing. Right. So I think it's kind of like a mental health protection as well. So I, I think they're really important personally for me. Right. And they don't bother me. Like it literally takes me two seconds to say, yeah, I want to look at that or no, I'm going to keep scrolling. Um, especially like say I'm at work and I'm waiting for people to come into a room for a meeting and I open up Facebook for a hot minute. The last thing I want my boss to sit down next to me and see is like something really gross. <laughs> yeah, because then they're like, what the hell is Sam looking at what at work? What is she looking at? <laughs> I mean, I'm convinced they already probably think I'm weird anyways because some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth that I do here, like – you know like I think talking about like some of the goat birth stuff or some of the like injuries or just the amount of death that can happen on a farm seems perfectly normal to me but when you say it out loud like it's not normal to other people so while I share that stuff at work I want to share it and control it myself 
But, you know, I sat down next to somebody that had their phone open and just kind of did a little side eye, not even thinking about it, too. So, uh, yeah. So I just think it's an extra layer of protection for everyone. Not a big deal, in my opinion. And honestly, sometimes I think that those covers, like, get people curious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like... yeah. Some like depending on your personality, like the fact that that's been censored will motivate you to watch it because like the rebel in you is like, why the hell is Facebook trying to hide this from me? Well, even when somebody says and so you watch it trigger warning or something like that in a group, I'm like, what's this? (laughs) Like, um, (laughs) yeah, you're like, I want to know what that trigger warning is. (laughs) I read the trigger, I'm like, that's not gonna bother me. Let's spill the tea on this. Like, what is it? So yeah, curiosity killed the cat kind of thing there too i guess yeah so if you're kind of still scratching your head over why PETA would go to these links with facebook it i found out this morning this isn't actually the first time PETA has used their wallet to get their way with companies um another article that we found was from market watch and this one also actually goes all the way back to like 2015 um and it said that at in 2015, PETA had shares in more than 70 companies. Um, and what they do is they buy the minimum amount, amount of stock needed to submit those shareholder proposals um, for a vote at their annual meetings. Um, so they have like stock in SeaWorld, um, pharmaceutical companies, food, retail, biotechnology, um, McDonald's, GE, Lululemon, um, and, and that's just to name a few, and, and I'm sure they have way more than 70 at this point, uh, because it's been about four years since this article's been written. But I thought it was interesting, too, because they were, like, in this article, they were leveraging this, like, surfer person to be, like, their advocate for the SeaWorld stuff. Which I'm not sure if anybody else has seen the documentary Blackfish, but I did a couple years ago, and it was very eye-opening to me. But with any documentary, there's bias, and... You're only seeing one side of the story, so you kind of need to do, like, all of your research and see the bigger picture of things before you can make a snap judgment and say, yes, this documentary holds true to all things. Um, So they had this Kelly Slater person advocating for them once they bought shares in in SeaWorld, and SeaWorld has no, um, no choice but to listen to them. Uh, because they do have at least $2,000 in market value or 1% of the company's shares, which is the minimum you need in order to be eligible to submit a proposal. And these are like the rules for like publicly traded companies. Yes. Right. Okay. Yep. And uh, this article said that you have to hold the stocks for at least a year before submitting a proposal. Um, But I'm not sure if that's still the same based on how quickly... PETA moved on the Facebook stuff. So I'm not sure exactly how that this works because this is like all brand new information for me today. <laughs> so this is really like the long game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've been doing this, I guess, since like 1987. Um, and they started off oh, wow. with like cosmetic companies and household cleaner companies that did testing on animals. Um, yeah. And, and recently, it seems like they're going again or going up against a lot of bigger food companies like McDonald's. So McDonald's has to deal with them and work with them. The big one in this article again is about SeaWorld 
and that, you know, it went public in 2013. Uh, PETA purchased shares in 2014 um, when the SeaWorld stock dipped. So um, PETA continued to have enough stake in this to submit proposals. Um, SeaWorld stock actually went down like 39% on its first day of trading. <laughs> so it was already hurting. So that makes it pretty like easy, like floor level access for PETA to go in and buy that shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, some of the other companies that might kind of make your ears perk up a little bit is Louis Vuitton. They purchased shares in 2017. March 2017, they uh, bought shares in a clothing company called Canadian or Canada Goose. And if you Google that one, you'll see all kinds of protesting pictures um, with interesting, like, pictures. Um, and then very recently, in March 2019, PETA bought shares in Levi IPO. And this was to persuade Levi to use vegan leather patches in their jeans. <laughs> <clears throat> so... I'm going to go on another, like, <laughs> slight side tangent Do again it. on Do this. It. Like, so d- does PETA know that, like, quote unquote, vegan leather-, leather is just, like, essentially polyester that, like, never breaks down? I mean, I didn't like, really know that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, vegan leather is, like, a synthetic material that's going to live. And so I haven't done any. I don't have any, like, notes or research in front of me. So if I misspeak, I will attempt to to correct myself next week but basically like when you use real leather or something that's like an actual animal product that product is designed to eventually decompose once it has passed it's like useful lifetime so that's why um like using the whole animal um and any type of operation that uses animals is is a good thing because it doesn't add to our waste and landfill and plastic problem that we have on this planet but like when you buy things like vegan leather shoes or vegan leather purses or patches or jackets or whatever that thing lives on in perpetuity in the landfills once it's gotten that hole in it and you don't wear it anymore so there's like a balance to be struck somewhere, I guess. Yes, I agree. And that is like the opposite of what PETA is. Like PETA is very polarizing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you get more people to listen or at least see your message when you're polarizing. Uh And like, it's funny because like, you know, we've made like PETA jokes on the podcast before. And sometimes like when I'm done, I always think like, great, we just like, you know, like kind of gave PETA another like platform quote unquote you know because like when you get people riled up no matter what direction it is like you're giving people exposure but like I think that seeing how it works is really important because like I had no idea that they were doing this yeah this and and the thing is this is actually like very smart um it's a great business decision um looking at their website I see that you can actually donate to buy shares for the company um, so you can go on and, you know, for some small company, give PETA $2,000 to go buy shares in this company. So they have a say in what they're doing, uh, PETA trying to take over the world. Um, and, and this is all completely legal too. There's nothing technically wrong with what they're doing. It just seems kind of obnoxious, kind of like everything else they, they do, um, and of course it's not like, like Bev said, I'm not one for animal cruelty either. 
Um, I don't disagree with 100% of what they do. I disagree with their approach. Um, and I think it is the complete antithesis, antithesis of this podcast where we believe there is more than one way to do things. Um, and that you need to look at the bigger picture and challenge your own beliefs on the regular. Um, so we're never gonna like PETA. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> we're just never gonna fully agree on anything. And one of the reasons why we're never gonna really agree with PETA is because PETA's bottom line is that animal use of any kind is abuse. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sorry, but when I walk out in my backyard and my goats and Herc perk up and see me coming and they get excited and run to the gate because they want me to come in and play with them. Like they enjoy my company just as much as I enjoy theirs. So you'll never convince me that keeping them is abusing them. Right. Because they would never survive in the wild. Oh, hell no. They're bougie little <laughs> Like, animals. could you imagine a <laughs> wild herd of Nigerian dwarf goats? No. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. Especially with the amount of infrastructure there is. I streaming down my face from laughter again. <laughs> yeah. Like, if yeah. I let my goats run free, they would all get hit by cars because people drive up and down my road like jackasses. Like, that is the truth. And that went on <laughs> their life so much faster than them being in their huge barn that is, like, 30 times the amount of room that they actually need. So, <laughs> yeah, PETA can suck it. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that they're, I, I, well, I mean, from my perspective, it, it just feels like flawed logic yeah. to say that all yeah. animals should be free and never be used by humans I guess but like and also like the stuff about like synthetic you know Mm -hmm. like materials and whatnot like ending up in the landfills like it's it's all just so much more multifaceted and and complicated than that like absolutely I don't want animals to be treated cruelly which is why I try to make a conscious decision by voting with my wallet every time I buy a piece of clothing or food or whatever and to the best of my abilities because like you know there are things called budgets and Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like access limitations depending on where you live but if you can make a few small conscious decisions I do believe that those things make a difference I don't think that you have to be all or nothing in order to change the world right I totally agree and now it's time for We Can't Even. Yeah, I need something funny. Do you have, I think you have a funny one because I'm reading the headline again and I'm like, what does this even mean? <laughs> so I need you to tell me. <laughs> I- I'm not really sure where I find these things. I'm impressed. But somehow <laughs> this, this headline came across one of my various social media feeds and it's seagulls drunk on beer and high from eating flying ants are falling over and vomiting. <laughs> They're partying too hard. I mean, yeah, seagulls partying too hard. So seagulls are reported to be getting drunk on beer dregs that are left behind in glasses, and they are hallucinating after eating flying ants before falling over and vomiting. Sounds like a music fest in the forest or something. (laughs) I mean, this sounds like Bev's 20s. Who are we getting? (laughs) And this article is from Devon 
Live, which is like someplace I believe in the UK. I'm not 100% sure. This isn't in the United States, I don't believe. Mm, okay. And uh, it says that the phenomenon was first reported in Devon last year when firefighters were called to rescue one seagull and found it was reeking of beer after it fell off a roof and was too drunk to fly. And then it promptly threw up all over them. Oh my God. <laughs> So the theory has been that uh, the early morning scavenger gulls are finding like half drunk plastic cups of beer left over from like revelers the night before and they're drinking it and that's what's making them sick. And at the same time, the gulls are experiencing psychotropic effects after eating too many flying ants because apparently... The ants produce something called formic acid, which can stupefy the gulls. And the amount eaten could explain why gulls are, like, not flying away from danger quickly because they're high and they can't. It, like, you know, suppresses their uh, nervous system so it doesn't work properly, kind of like what drugs do to humans. Well, look at that. (laughs) Right. And apparently... So this is the most hilarious part. A crew of six firefighters were called by this rescue organization to rescue a seagull behaving erratically on the Devon border last summer. And when they arrived, the bird had already fallen off the roof and was sitting shaking its head. So the goal was taken to a rescue and the staff said that they already had three others that had been like displaying similar behavior that were waiting release and the firefighter said that when we arrived he had already fallen off the roof and he was sitting shaking his head and he tried to fly and he nearly hit me in the face and i caught him and he threw up all over me and reeked of beer but six firefighters called to save one seagull one drunk seagull i mean it sounds like a really good use of resources but i I digress it sounds like a movie or tv show or something (laughs) yeah it's like the drunk birds instead of the really scary birds (laughs) yeah the real drunk birds of devon (laughs) like instead of the real (laughs) the the drunk birds of devon oh my gosh (laughs) but apparently like people have been picking up these drunk birds and taking them to the vet a bunch of them have been euthanized because like the vets are like we don't know what to do with these drunk seagulls and you know they look to be in pretty bad shape when they're really drunk and high yeah. Um, but this uh, rescue organization's theory is that it's actually that the seagulls are actually getting uh, like leftovers from breweries and that's what they're eating and it's not oh, the beer. So interesting. crazy, right? Yeah. I just wanted to say that I think that, you know, PETA should really start focusing on these breweries that are allowing these birds to just get hammered and go buy shares in their company. Or go influence them um, in order to, you know, make the birds not alcoholics. Because clearly, this is the brewery's fault. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't want PETA getting involved in my beer. So I prefer they don't do that. That was all sarcasm. (laughs) We're not allowed to give them ideas, Sam. (laughs) All right, cut that for the Patreon then, I guess. So what can't you even about this week? So oh, I am so excited because I, when I drink, I really like to snack. And I talked about that a lot on the Drink and Survive an Ale Fest episode. And I happened across this perfect pairing 
there is a new collaboration between uh, the brand Housewine and Cheez-Its. And they're bringing you oh a new God. product called Housewine and Cheez-It. And it is a limited edition box made of one part red wine and one part cheesy crackers. And I am very excited and need this. <laughs> I mean, if they added chocolate to it, it would be like the Holy Trinity. <laughs> right? Yes. But I feel like this in it by itself is just perfection for like a picnic or something. I don't know. Um, especially if you're not super boozy or any bougie, boozy, bougie. Um, I mean, you're carrying around box like wine, so you're a little, a little boozy. boozy. <laughs> but this is like a red blend in the box. Um, and the box comes with a spout. Hallelujah. And it's a mix of Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. Mm. And it's a combination chosen carefully by house wine maker, winemaker Hal. I'm not even going to say his last name. Because it land void, maybe. I don't know. Um, you don't need a corkscrew. You don't need a knife or a cheese plate. You literally just carry the, this little thing with you. And ta-da, you have Cheez-Its and wine. And you can go sit in the grass. Maybe you can go sit outside like your goat pen or your chicken house. And eat Cheez-Its and drink wine and enjoy your livestock. But if you do need one like now, um, you can get them for $25 on OriginalHouseWine.com. They've been on that website since July 25th, but it's only until supplies last. So I don't know if supplies are still lasting or not, but if this just tickles your fancy, you should go check it out. And we'll link to this article in the show notes so you can look at the cute picture of what the product looks like, too. This is really exciting because I like my alcohol to come with food Mm -hmm. because I, too, like to snack when I drink. Mm -hmm. And this is why we can be friends. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have my almost 14-year-old making cookies right now Ugh, while we're recording. Nice. Because I can't let him use the internet while we record or else our quality goes down. Right. So he's making cookies instead. Right. Just hopefully he doesn't burn the house down. It's fine. <laughs> it doesn't smell like it. So I think we're good. Oh, my gosh. That box is so cute. Right. I just clicked on the link and I had to look at it. The canned wine has that logo on it, too. And I almost picked that up when I was at Meyer. That's on my list of to drink um, for my next visit there. I had to limit myself this time. (laughs) I like it. You know, one thing to keep in mind, though, that your picnic date, if you're in public, you have to check your, like, public drinking laws because a lot of places have, like, open container laws. So you can't, like, actually drink in public. Just put a plastic bag over it. But you can totally take these into your pasture. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Over the whole box? Yeah. Officers, just juice, I swear. And just drinking juice just and ju- cheese juice and crackers. It's fine, officer. <laughs> you want some? They're <laughs> really good. Are you sure? Sharing is caring. <sighs> oh. Time for housekeeping. Woohoo. Yes. It is our housekeeping corner. Yes. And we have no farm story for you this week because no farm story was sent. So if you have a farm story, you can send it to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com and you can remain anonymous. You don't, you can tell us if you don't want people to know who you are, or you can be like, here's my Instagram handle. Here's my Facebook page, blah, blah, blah. And we'll shout you out entirely. Um, but if it, you know, you have something to share that you're passionate about, that you think's funny, 
that's heartwarming and will make Bev and Sam cry, like maybe that could just be like a challenge, like see who can make Sam and Bev cry. I don't know. Um, but send it to us, email them to us or send them over Facebook messenger or Instagram messenger and we will share it. We sure will. And be sure and review us in all the places. Mm -hmm. And if you really like us, download the episode when you listen and hit the subscribe button. And if you listen on YouTube, leave us a comment because we want to chat with you. Yes, yes, they do. And last but not least, join our Facebook group. We mentioned it a few times here. Uh, we have a lot of fun in there. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Only real rule is don't be a jackass. And I guess we have to sh like add a rule about not sh like selling your animals and stuff on there too. Unfortunately, but come ask to be a part of that group answer our questions and then boom you'll be admitted to all of the fun times that we have in there so we hope to see you there yes yes and drink farm and give zero clucks bye guys bye we drink things we farm things we drink and farm things